Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. A major part of the spirit of the Say It Skillfully podcast is this. It's hard to help someone you don't know. You don't know someone without hearing their story, and you won't hear their story if you don't ask. I'm most inspired by those who are pursuing success on their terms. And today I am joined by a bona fide military prodigy. Having served with the Canadian Expeditionary and Special Forces, my guest has been honored as one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women in 2017 and 2020. In 2019, she was invested into the Order of Military Merit. She holds bachelor's and master's degrees in military and strategic studies, communications, and defense studies. Having been on many a humanitarian mission, she's seen more than half the globe. She's held numerous posts and served as both Naval Warfare Officer and Public Affairs Officer. She was promoted to her current rank in June 2022, serving as Director of Operational Communications, then Acting Director General Issues, before becoming Director General Coordination within the Strategic Joint Staff. With courage and grace, this woman has done it all. I am pleased to welcome Naval Captain Kelly Williamson. Kelly, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Hey, Molly. Thank you so much for having me. What a great opportunity. I'm super excited for our chat. Well, I am thrilled, and I know you have uh, really gone out of your way to make time for this. I'm really, really thrilled. And of course, we need Kelly to do a shout out to the International Women's Forum, IWF, where you, my friend, are one of 40 stellar leaders in this intensive leadership development program. So my congratulations to you for that. Thank you so much. I feel truly blessed. Um, The women in this program are rock stars and trailblazers in a range of different sectors and industries. And I just feel completely humbled to be amongst that cohort. Um, You know, not only are we learning from each other, but we're developing genuine friendships and connections. And it's just so amazing to be part of such a superpower, like an empowered, positive community. Yeah, it's just been a joy to have spent time with you folks. And I just, you are all in such an elite level and it's it's really joyful and it's what this world needs. So I'm really thrilled at the um, community and kinship you're all building. And um, I, you know, I don't think you would have imagined your career and your life as it is today. So I am really excited for listeners to uh, hear your amazing journey. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, It's crazy. Um, So my life has been like the story of zigs and zags. Um, I think when I began my military career, I never thought it would be quite as long. Um, There were several times I thought I might take an off ramp. Um, But at the end of the day, what's kept me focused um, are the relationships I've developed with my teammates and colleagues. Um, And they are the ones who have really inspired me throughout. you know, when I was in high school, I actually went to a school for performing arts. So the military was not something that was on my radar at all. 
Um, I took dramatic arts um, and really had a bit of a creative side that I kind of wanted to explore. Um, I think storytelling was always something that was very important to me. And we'll get to that later because it does tie into what I'm doing now um, in the Canadian Armed Forces. But I was one of those kids. So I was raised by a single mom. So first of all, I, I have to say she is my role model. She created so many opportunities by just stretching herself and putting herself out there. And I owe everything to her. And so like a huge shout out to all the single moms who are doing everything they can. And I'll get a little emotional because I do know it is hard um, for some of them, but your kids might not explain it to you in the short term, but they will appreciate all of the sacrifices you've made for them later in life. And once they themselves have become have become parents. And so, yeah, it was a bit of a challenging um, childhood. We moved um, from city to city quite frequently. Uh, I, I am quite envious of people who have been able to put down roots and who have known people for years because that just wasn't my story. But that's okay. Um, you know, my story made me adaptable. It made me flexible. I was usually always the new kid, which was a little bit hard. Um, I think I tend to be a more introverted person, but out of necessity, um, developed a bit of an ability to be a little bit more outgoing so I could have those friendship circles. And, you know, the great thing about my mom was her friends, um, her, her women friends, like all took an active role. And so I had a million great, strong female role models. Uh, and how fun was it to be like an eight or a 10 year old and go have a girl's night with like a 30 year old career woman who is just killing it in her sector. And I have some of the best memories of like overnight girls nights with some of my mom's friends who also contributed to kind of my, my, my upbringing. So um, that was about it. My parents split when I was quite young. I don't actually remember living um, with both of my parents, but I have strong relationships uh, with both of them. Uh, my dad actually lost his eyesight when I was about eight years old or started to progressively lose it. Uh, and so that was a bit of a unique challenge. I think it only struck me in my 20s. And then when I had my daughter that he couldn't see his grandchild. And so, um, but, you know, my dad, my dad as well was just quite resilient. He always maintained his sense of humor. And that's, you know, that's, I think, a huge lesson I learned from him through when you're going through adversity, try to find the glimmer of, of hope and the glimmer of humor and just leverage humor, especially when you're working in teams to to keep people together because it's it's too easy sometimes to default to the negative or to get really you know, to go dark and down, down rabbit holes. But if you look for the light in, in, in the levity in whatever situation you're in, I think it makes traversing those difficult periods really, really easy. Um, so I finished high school at the School for Performing Arts, uh, and I found myself at military college because, yeah, I wanted to own my own hockey team. I wanted to be a, a war correspondent. I wanted to be a sportscaster. I really couldn't decide. And so my aunt, another one of these incredible women role models, suggested, hey, go to the military college. You're super athletic. You'll, you'll get on a sports team. You'll travel. Um, and... 
So the first year was probably one of the hardest years of my life. I, I went from being a great student to barely passing my subjects. Um, and so a bit of a humbling experience. But I think everybody, when they make a major life transition like that, and especially that that transition from high school to university can be difficult for a lot of people. Um yeah, I remember being very stoked when I went from a D to like a 63 in first year calculus. It was like the most ecstatic party ever when uh, like second semester. Um, but again, I looked around. I found some senior cadets. They actually, you know, there was a small group of five um, women, upper class women who who took me under their wings when I was getting in trouble once a day, every day for like not fitting in. They kind of just pulled me into a room. They had an intervention. They're like, girl, it's a game. We are all here for you. We want to see you succeed. And so, you know, to anybody in any sort of leadership or management position, you know, don't be afraid to throw people a lifeline. If they look like they're drowning, they probably need help. And even that little boost of like humanity, hey, we see you, we understand what you're going through can help and can possibly like make a difference in somebody's life. So I made it through military college. Um, I did quite well. I, I wound up in a cadet leadership position in my last year. Um, I won a, a couple of, of awards, so was able to turn it around. And I think the main lessons I took away, you know, were teamwork, reach, like, don't be afraid to ask for help. And that's a theme throughout my career. Um, I think everybody... In the military, we're taught we, you know, generally we have to be leaders. We we need to know what we're doing all the time. We need to maintain control. It's never really been my jam. Um, and I still have a bit of a hard time asking for help. But I think like one of the greatest strengths is when you come to a place and you're okay understanding that you don't have to have all of the right answers. Your job as a leader is to assemble the team and everybody on that team can have their own superpower and they should not be the same superpowers. Um, but if you can leverage everybody's individual creativity and lived experience, that that will help traverse. So that, that was a great lesson. And then early on in my career, I was a naval warfare officer, and there they train their young officers in a very specific way. You are the principal leader on the bridge of a ship. You make decisions. Um, you know, you work with the engineers. You work with the various departments on the ship to run the ship on behalf of the commanding officer. Um and there tended to be a typical mold. Um, and again, I found, or I guess I was happy because fairly early on, I sort of realized, hey, I don't like the person that I'm supposed to be to fit into this mold. Um, I was, you know, they use, sarcasm, they use sarcasm as a tool. And while I agree there is a place in life for sarcasm, um, taking shots at people, um, uh, is not probably the best way to train the leaders of tomorrow, particularly if you want them to be risk takers. Um, I also found myself, yeah, defaulting to humor that was a bit more negative and dark. And I am more of a bubbly, like, 
not rainbows and sunshines, but definitely pink sparkle kind of person. And so when I stopped trying to fit into that mold, I, I kind of became a lot more comfortable with who I was again. And it was actually at that point I realized, hey, there's an opportunity for me to try something new in my career. Um, so, you know, I qualified as a bridge watch keeping officer. It's essentially like my driver's license for the ship. I specialized in above water warfare. So again, very fun warfare specialty. You're in charge of the team that controls the guns, missiles, and radars on, on board the ship. Fired some missiles, never in anger, only to test doctrine. Um, but again, Again, cool opportunities that at 22 or 23 years old, who's going to ever think they're going to end up firing harpoon missiles um, and, and have like a super capable lethal team? Um, so, again, all learning. And for me, again, once I realized I didn't have to fit into the mold, I could be me. I started having a lot more fun in that role. But again, my desire to connect with people and to tell stories led me down a slightly different path once I finished um, a, a couple at sea postings. And it was sort of at the eight year mark in my career that I decided to try public affairs and communications. And um, life is I think that's truly where I started to come out of my shell because I was I was leveraging some of those skills I'd built in high school for communications, um, for connecting with people, for telling stories. Um, and while I wasn't necessarily telling just the Navy stories, it uh, provided me with new opportunities to meet people in the Army and to see what life in the Army was like and provided me with the opportunity to work with our special forces and, and to really understand that unique group of human beings who, who again, taught me so many things about, like, risk-taking. And they're actually quite special, you know. They are all about finding the failure in the plan. Um, so you know what it is. And you, like you train to find the weakness and it's and it's okay to fail because it's only through failing do we find innovations and learn lessons that make us stronger. Um, and they also have a great philosophy of yes, while we're we're a military unit and we all wear rank and that assigns a certain level of responsibility, authority to key positions. If you are the knowledge keeper, if you are the expert in an area, it does not matter what your rank is. You are going to lead whatever that particular task or mission is. And, and so I think my time with them, again, taught me to think outside the box, get creative and truly value the experts you work at or you work with. Um, and I was able to take the skills I learned from them um, and just apply them when I came back to the conventional forces after about um, two years. And then, of course, what I haven't sort of touched on yet are my missions. So I deployed to Afghanistan briefly in 2011. Um, again, you know, just being on the other side of the world in a completely new environment, it, you know, it immersed in another culture there to support folks. And, and at that time I was working as a public affairs officer. So I was working with journalists. I was taking them outside of the wire when possible so they could see what was going on in Afghanistan and how the military was supporting, um, you know, coalition efforts. Um, just 
again, provide you with perspectives, makes you really grateful for where we come from in Canada and the United States and all, like the security and stability we enjoy. So very much putting life in perspective. Um, I deployed to Haiti a year prior after the earthquake uh, in 2010. Though that was a bit of a life-defining moment. Um, again, seeing people um, who had lost everything contributing to the humanitarian response. Um, I personally tried to get outside of our camps as much as possible to understand. Um, but that just, it really kind of, again, it made me feel grateful. It made me realize what was important and what wasn't important in life. Um, and, and from a purely career perspective, just being dropped into a scenario in, or into a country like that was a, at the beginning of my career as a public affairs officer really gave me a good opportunity to hone my skills through austerity, um, because it was all about making connections with other militaries who was on the ground, you know, trying to understand where our Canadian forces were, what they were doing, how they were helping, and trying to make sense, particularly in early days, to explain to Canadians um, in the international community why the why various militaries and, and aid groups were in the country, the type of aid that was required by the local population population and and the necessity of us being there um and so lots of lessons i think the most important one being how to operate in very austere environments um which paid off again in dividends when i went to nepal in 2015 um the scale of devastation was a little bit different i think the cultures of both countries were very different in how each was able to to manage um the disasters with their own governments. Um, but again, I just learned a ton from the Nepalese people um, and their resilience was incredible. Uh, so we were there, we were in Nepal for about two weeks. We deployed, Canada deployed a small team of people within about 24 hours of the first magnitude. I think it was 8.2 earthquake. We're there on the ground um, providing assistance, working with um, the international community. And there was another, I think it was an 8.0. And that was actually very, I guess, a defining moment um, because we had teams spread across our area of operation. And so I was in the main headquarters in Kathmandu and we, we had to obviously evacuate the building we were in um, because it's not safe to be inside when something that large is happening. And so when we all sort of evacuated, I just thought it was a normal aftershock. So I was working away um, and the lights went out because there were lots of aftershocks throughout this. So we just thought it was a no normal aftershock, but the lights went out. The rolling seemed to last a little longer than normal. And then the rolling just became a lot more violent. And then I remember when we got outside, I was standing on the concrete and it literally felt like I was at sea and like the ground was rolling under our feet. I remember looking across the street, there was a building that had a bunch of radio um, transmitters on the top and they were swaying back and forth like it was made out of rubber. Uh, and then I... I was with my friend, Steve, who was our operations officer. And both of us were like, 
oh man, we've got troops like on the ground in another city doing rubble clearance. We have a convoy out there. And so the immediate sort of situation was like, how do we get in charge? Of, how do we get in touch with them? We'd all fled the building so fast. Like all of our equipment was still inside. I looked at Steve and I'm like, I know where my sat phone is. It's probably the closest one to the end to, to like, let me go in and get it. So ran back in the building. As soon as I got inside, I was like, this is not a good idea. But as I said, it wasn't too far in. So I was able to grab it. We got it. Steve was able to start like calling, like confirming the status of our personnel. We did a check. People were like in the vicinity of rubble, but everybody was safe. Um, so again, one of those one of those situations in life where hey you worry about the basics and then oh my gosh then you need to okay you not you need to not get focused on what's happening and you need to think okay what's my job now how do i respond and then of course the team kicked into more detailed planning we were able to spiral our our response in nepal and continue working so that was great um and a ton of lessons learned and then um you know West Africa, again, in 2017, I deployed this time with the Navy. Um, we So the ships and the sailors were there to do capacity building with local armed forces. But our government has a bit of a unique foreign policy informed by intersectional perspectives. So the environment, they have a focus on women and youth. And so every time we would do a port visit, I would work with the Canadian embassies in the various locations to help tease out programming that lined up with some of those priorities. Um, when we were in Sierra Leone, we got to do a women's leadership roundtable with UN women and he for she. And we brought a bunch of young Sierra Leone's um, girls on board the ship. And I think a life-defining thing we in Canada and the West tend to think, oh, we have all of this knowledge we're going to import, Im, 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 you know, give to these young women. But at the end of the day, being a young woman in Sierra Leone and in different parts of the world has its own risk and has its own challenges. And we, through this roundtable, just learned so much more about them. We learned about, you know, the challenges they face female genital mutilation, like rape, all of these really heavy topics that we necessarily don't think of on a day-to-day -day basis in the West. And the incredible strength and resilience of these young women, I think really inspired a lot of our Canadian sailors, both women and men, and put, okay, this is why we're in the armed forces. We are here to help, um, help individuals like this. And so that mission for me um, became life-changing. And I, I had an opportunity. I deployed my friend. Um, he, he's now Commander Paul Smith. He was the commanding officer of HMCS Summerside, the ship I was on. My friend, uh, Lift, uh, Commander Nicole Robichaux, she was commander of HMCS Moncton. So we were two ships that deployed together. We deployed in February, March. So over Black History Month and for International Women's Day. And there were just so many beautiful narratives that weaved throughout this deployment, you know, highlighting both the leadership of Paul and Nicole. And, and just, we created this really beautiful environment um, where we also learned from um, the people we were there to provide support to. So just 
it's, you know, been an incredible journeys. There have been ups, there have been downs. And I think probably the biggest lesson, even through my most adverse times when I felt the world um, was against me or I, I had failed, you know, everybody loves an underdog and you just need to like have the discipline to like pick yourself up, dust yourself off, which I know is easier said than done a lot of the time, but look like look around you do have people who will be your allies and and again never be so proud that you don't think you can't ask for help because you just need to ask and people will come and so that is kind of the the craziness uh, of my story and some of the key lessons i am blown away and I have so many questions. So I'm not even sure where I'm going to start, but thank you for going back with us. And I can just feel it in your whole being, how you're kind of reliving these, the feeling of these moments and how transformative it has been for you. And what comes to me first and foremost is just that whole groundedness of Kelly within Kelly. And mm-hmm. for the listeners of the show that that takes work, right? And it takes that going to these places that are unknown, that may be dark, and, you know, I, I often say, you know, very few people have a chance to see how good they can really be. And I think you have been blessed with multiple opportunities to, to um, see what, what that's like. Um, let me just go back a bit to the childhood and single mom. And did you, did you, as you were watching your mom, know how much that was? It was that later, you seem to be very, I would say, advanced, like you had well beyond your years, Kelly, some wisdom. So I'm just wondering how you felt for your mom. Maybe you felt some guilt for her. I'm just wondering. Yeah. And so like, I think I, I think I understood pretty early that we were a bit of a team. Um, I think I saw it. I don't think though, I truly appreciated it until much later. Um, because I, like every other 20-year-old, was like that mouthy know-it-all. I'm an adult now. And I remember, like, especially especially having done military training, like coming home and using salty language. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, it's all phases of, of development, right? Like we try on these personas. Do they work for me? Yes, no. Um, maybe I'm being a little too impetulant here. So I'll go back to being my, uh, I'll go back to being myself. But um, my mom was just like, she was just so great. Uh, and I don't know that she knows it. I hope she does. I, I try to tell her and you should all probably hug your moms more often and tell them how great they were, <laughs> period. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, so your awesome aunt who got you this um, piqued your interest in military school. So how many women go to military school? Just help us understand for those of us who haven't been, because I'm just curious, were you like, oh, yeah, no problem? Or did you think about, hmm, do I want to be the one in X number? Yeah, so I don't think I ever... So in all of our conversations before I actually signed up, there wasn't a conversation of there's this percentage of women, it's going to be a challenge. I think that's something I only realized like once I got into the environment. And to be honest, I showed up, I think I I showed up in the military at a time when we were beginning to increase numbers. So I wasn't the only one. I wasn't all by myself. 
in my squadron, which in my squadron of my year of people, so which would probably be about 20 to 25 students, um, we were, we were four women. So it was a little bit, but it wasn't lonely. Um, and so we each, I mean, we, you had a roommate in first year, so I got to be roommates with each of the other women. And so that was, that was quite helpful. Um, and I, I'd say over, you know, our military set an objective and it, again, it varies by profession, the combat arms. Um, so infantry, uh, artillery, armored, those types of jobs in the army tend to have few a smaller percentage of female. So their journey and their experience would be very different than mine. And, and I would argue they probably operate in a very a masculine type of environment because traditionally that's who was in those professions. Um, me as a naval warfare officer off the top, it was still considered a, a war fighting sort of combat arms of the sea type situation. But I think I entered at a time where there were more women in the naval warfare officer profession, not a great number, but enough that I never felt alone. And some of my best friends came grew my best friendships grew out of that time on board and so I would say we were probably about 15 to 20 percent women in that occupation at any one time or on a particular ship on one of my ships I was the only woman in a wardroom but just because of the other junior officers who joined at the same time with me, I knew them. I had a relationship with them from the military college, so it was never a problem. Like, they were some of my closest friends. Have I experienced, um, like, did I experience some questionable behavior? Yeah, I think so. But I chose, I found a way to deal with it that worked for me. And I had some trusted um, male friends that I could go to to help me with tricky situations when required. Um, are they things that I that that any sailor should put up with? Probably not. Um, and so, like ensuring we have strong leadership on board um, uh, ships is, is very important. So that's sort of the environment we're in. Yeah, I appreciate that. And to to double click a bit on that because I imagine there could be some folks listening. Um, you know, that way, the kind of the Kelly way of holding her own, right? And I think I just encourage folks, everyone's, you know, you kind of find how you want to stand tall in a way that's authentic to you. Do you have um, something that comes to mind of a moment when you were like, hey, wait a second, I'm going to do a little, maybe it was verbal jujitsu or whatever to kind of just help someone appreciate that that was not going to work? Because I think an example that might be helpful for listeners. Yeah. And so there are a few times in my career, I want to say one, like probably about four times that I would have said is really kind of inappropriate, um, unwanted attention that came towards my way. I chose to push back leveraging humor. Um, and so I found my funny little comeback uh, to just underscore, hey, not right. Shouldn't be speaking to me like that back off. Um, and then I know in a couple of them where the language like was particularly offensive to me, um, I, I found a male colleague and just kind of like filled them in and said, hey, this is what this individual said, completely inappropriate, 
kind of think something needs to be done. And so if you find yourself in that situation, again, I know it's not going to be easy for some people to push back in the moment, but find that person who can help you share your story and, 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 and develop, develop an approach to make sure you are not traumatized or victimized further. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Thank you for that. The you mentioned there's times it's hard. Did you ever have moments of quitting? Like you really I can't do this or like the moments of self-doubt. Just take us through that. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, there were a couple periods where I thought I would retire and leave. I think there was a period in I want to say around 2014, 2015, I just, I'd kind of felt like I'd culminated. I'd have enough. I was being pigeonholed. I wasn't necessarily being provided with opportunities. And so I started looking for opportunities outside the Canadian forces um, with, with other government agencies um, because I just wanted, I wanted something different. I wanted to flex a different part of who I was. I think I wanted to, to use my, analytical skills, um, my ability to problem solve, uh, and my leadership in a way that I just wasn't being, that wasn't being utilized um, on the path I was on. Uh, So life conspired against me. My husband's job prevented me from taking another opportunity I actually was offered. Um, It just financially, we couldn't have made, I I suppose we could have made it work, but it was a drastic pay cut to kind of start over in another hierarchical system. And you kind of just need to balance everything out at the end of the day, what's going to work for you, what's going to work for your family. Um, but again, I started having really frank conversations with some of the people who were in leadership positions with me about what my aspirations were internal to the Canadian Armed Forces. And, and they helped create some opportunities that sort of re-inspired me. Um, in 2016, I was able to deploy to Pearl Harbor and work with the United States Navy on a major multinational exercise called Rim of the Pacific. I got to learn from, you know, some amazing American colleagues, just a different way of thinking. And of course, hey, it's Pearl Harbor. What's not to love? Like there's so much history. There's so much natural beauty um, in the Hawaiian Islands. And there's so much American history there that you can't not be inspired by that sort of environment. Um, And so, so that was one, a few years later, 2018, I felt like I was, I was brought in to help reestablish and rebuild a team that was mentally exhausted um, because of the, the environment that they had had to confront in it. And my goal was to keep as much, of the churn off of my team to enable them to just be creative, wonderful um, storytellers. Um, But it takes a toll. And there was a morning where I snapped. Now, happily, my direct boss was wonderful. We had a personal relationship that went back to me first joining my first ship. He was my executive officer and we had a great relationship and he saw the breaking point and said, Oh, take a day. And I kind of, I like in my table flipping mode said, I can't take a day. Like I need to fix this problem. And, and 
he was great because he provided he 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 was that sounding board for me. So again, it goes back to don't let things build to that exploding point. Like probably I probably should have had a conversation with him sooner or like in a more relaxed state of mind. Um, but because of him, I was able to hang on tighter, just make it through a tra- a leadership transition. Um, and then uh, again, the, the, the sailing became smoother at that point. And, you know, I, I, we took this team and we built it and I leveraged the incredible skills of like senior managers that, that, that came on, um, to produce a set or to help develop a more psychologically safe environment for, for my gang and, 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 you know, leveraging, you know, again, identifying who the people are you can work with in your organization to help you help pull you through and motivate you through those super difficult times was critical because when the leadership changed um, and we got somebody that was a little bit more open-minded and, and refreshing in there, uh, the team just flourished. Yeah. I am just bowled over by your own, just the depth of your own leadership, Kelly, and how it's, it's just you, you know, and I, and I wonder, did you have particular role models and was it more about seeing what you knew you wanted to be like, or seeing what you didn't want to be like that really helped you, you know, nurture, you know, your leadership? So I think I learned a lot about leadership by observing, by observing those around me, um, by, by really experiencing those people around me too. Um, I know what it felt like when I, when I was being stepped on or like being belittled and I just never wanted anybody to feel that way, um, through something I did. And so, so the negative examples were just as great learning points for me as the people who had, who seemed to have it all together. And there were skills I did not have, particularly as a young Naval Warfare Officer. It's very math-based, like I said, School for Performing Arts. Uh, and I was a bag of hammers for a little bit, trying to figure out how to put a fix on the chart and figure out where we were in the water. But you know what? When you're going through training, you're always in small teams. And so when I wasn't Officer of the Watch, when I was Second Officer of the Watch, I used to observe people who had the system and who 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 seemed to have the skill mastered and then I would go talk to them about what they did and like my one friend Pat Fournier like he was a fixing master this man could do mental math like nobody's business and so I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna do what Pat's doing because he's a legend and, and that helped and when I implemented the skills that Pat did and I did the system that Pat did um, my, I, I, you know, I made it through it and I just, I kind of like developed what I needed to make it through that juncture. And so negative and positive, there are things you can learn from everybody. And I would just say, be an observer of the world around you. Um, if there's negative stuff happening, do not internalize it, but use it as a lesson. If there are truly brilliant people who are able to master skills or who treat people in a certain way, master them too. You know, one of my one of my recent bosses, he just had a way with his team. Um, he cared deeply. He made he made an army headquarters feel as though it was a family. Um, and he, he made, he seemed to, yeah. Anyways, 
I learned a lot from him on how to treat people, how to, you know, show people you cared and how to get invested in them. He was also somebody who I think understood not everybody fits in the particular path and that you need to kind of deep select and go outside the box. And and so again, you take a little bit from everywhere. Amazing. Love it. So I don't really know how you had time to get married and have a kid with all this. So talk about how the personal life evolved and just, you know, and no one has it figured out. We all know that, but just how you folks manage through all of it. Yeah, no problem. So I came to marriage probably a little bit later than most people, like not terribly late, like 35, 36 late. Um, And again, through trial and error, I knew what I didn't want. Uh, So when I found this wonderful man, um, it was fairly easy to make a decision. Intelligent, uh, sense of humor, of course, had a style that matched my own, um, really driven, but at the end of the day, fundamentally a very kind human being uh, and very supportive. And so uh, we actually met, uh, we met online. Um, And I could tell he had a sense of humor by the way he wrote messages. And I said, this could be something interesting. And yet we dated for a short period of time and got married, I want to say maybe about two years after we met, um, but started dating and kind of like have been together ever since. And our daughter, Charlotte, wasn't born until 2020. So we were together about seven years. Um, And in that time, we traveled a lot together whenever um, our schedules permit. He has a super busy job, but he always included me. there are a lot of social things connected with my partner's job and, and he would always want me to be there with him. And I think that's key. He has a great rule. A nothing good happens after 10, a 10 PM. Um, so like he'd always slip from parties. We'd always slip from, from parties and social gatherings. Um, but he also, we also had a rule that we should probably try to see each other as often as we could, even when our career paths like, kept us separated we should be we should not be away for longer than two or three weeks you know military deployments aside um you know they're the great like there's zoom and facetime and and telephones and so you always need to work on the connection um so and i definitely think becoming a mom has made me a better human being it's made me more caring compassionate and like way more patient um uh, and you just make it work. And again, so, you know, I didn't have a child in the early days of the pandemic, a shout out to every parent who had to homeschool, who had to like balance work with like raising their kids. That stuff was hard. Like my lesson in that came in 2021 um, when Charlotte started daycare. Um, my Again, so my mom knocked it out of the park for us. She helped me my first year back after my maternity leave. Um, she helped care for Charlotte during the day. Um, but she went, you know, after, you know, when the pandemic was almost over, we sent Charlotte to daycare. But and of course, not having an immune system, she was sick like every single day. And I was like that person with the feverish baby, like trying to do meetings through Zoom. And at one point I'm like, you know what, like people need to see this because if you didn't get it in the first half, like we just need to be sympathetic. So I would keep my videos on like if I was just 
to remind people like this is people's reality and we do need to like be accommodating and as gracious as we can and understanding. And so um, it, it's made me a better multitasker again, more caring, more compassionate, uh, but definitely a stressful thing. But she's at the age now where we can have, I always remember when she was, I had a hard time when she was born, to be honest. I was like, please send me to see. I can deal with admirals. I cannot deal with this newborn baby. I'm the worst mother. I have no idea what I'm doing. I like totally was not, I was not prepared to be a mom. Um, and I remember being like stinky um, and like hungry and like just crying on my kitchen floor. And I reached out to one of John's, my husband's friends, um, who I knew was in a high powered job as well. And I said, I, she, and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And she just was like, so amazing and so graceful in her response. She's like, oh, honey, I don't know if it ever gets better, but we will get used to it. And she said, we as women do each other a disservice. We pretend it's all easy to keep our stuff together. It's not, but you know what? That answer was so perfect because it made me realize how normal I was and that I wasn't failing. Um, and so, you know, just be be real with people, you know, and give them hope. And that's what that that's what that message gave me. And so that's how I balanced it all. <laughs> I absolutely love it. So let's segue to the say it skillfully part of the show. So I'm wondering, is there any tough conversation you have? or had, maybe we can unpack that for listeners. Yeah. So look, um, I think in any organization, when you're trying to innovate, when you're trying to do something um, that is a bit outside of the box, um, you're all, you're going to need to sort of pick your conversations. Uh, and, and it's one I'm kind of working through right now. Um, I have a varied background, but um, I want to, you know, progress my leadership potential as much as I can within my current organization. And, but, but, but as I kind of mentioned, there's a certain way large institutions train their folks to be. And, uh, you know, we're in a great period right now where my organization, my institution has learned a lot about um, diverse perspectives and about empowering um, and listening to underrepresented voices and getting new people at the table. But it it, it is a slow process. Uh, and, and it's a conversation I'm in now with some key leaders within my organization. You know, they have all generally been supportive, but um Institutional change um, can take time, and so I think it's about having the com- it's about having the patience. It's about exp- you know providing what your perspective is, articulating, hey, this is why this is important to me. I want to be an example. I want to help uplift others. I have the skills and abilities. I wasn't necessarily trained in a classic way, but I think I have what you need and here's why. And, and, you know, it's knocking it out of the park at every opportunity you're provided and just really articulating where you're at um, in a, in a respectful and in a positive um, manner. And, and, you know, by ultimately getting to, you know, each time you get another rung up the ladder or you're able to move a place on the board, you're just creating that momentum for other people to to follow you because particularly as senior leaders as executive leaders as institutional leaders our goal is about having a vision being able to articulate it 
and then developing the leaders of tomorrow as well. And for me, that's what it's about. It's about creating the conditions through my own experience to really enable the leaders of tomorrow. Yeah, I appreciate you raising this topic. And it's so great because we want to be um, really appreciative and humbled by how much progress has been made, thanks to people like you, and to continue to keep the foot on the accelerator so that we can be even better. And I appreciate that sometimes I think it can be easy for people to think, well, you know, we've done we've we've done a lot already. You're like, okay, well, we've done a lot and we can be doing more. And to be able to be the one to help raise the bar, I think it's helping people um see how great, you know, what they've done is so great. And to be able to say to want more, right? Mm-hmm. To be even better. And someone like you has such street cred. It's like, look, have I ever done you wrong? Right? Mm-hmm. No. Right. And I think for folks to be able to offer, and I sense in you, you know, it's kind of more than like Kelly's mind, right? But you're, there's a greater good that you're you're after. And I think helping enroll people in the sense of, you know, what we're doing is just far beyond, you know, the five of us or 10 of us or this group right now, but it really, it talks about our future and our legacy. And I think enrolling people in that sort of vision um, in the nicest way, but also in a way that says, you know, we have the responsibility it's a real privilege to lead and it's a responsibility to lead well. And I, and I just, I love how you stand for that. A hundred percent. And like the thing, the goal is to make everybody feel as though they are valued and they can contribute. Right. And the only way we're going to do that is by clearing a path for them and, and getting outside the box and, and, you know, people tend to think of like diversity or gender and inclusion as like, Problems they ha- that have to be solved when they're not, they're not at all. They are really opportunities. They are opportunities to be stronger. They're opportunities to see problems in new ways. Um, and, and it's all about seizing the momentum to, to really sort of, and it's hard and it takes time. I know that, but, but we can't seed ground here. I think because at the end of the day, the objective is just to make us all stronger together. Yeah, I just, you couldn't say it any better. That's wise, wise, wise words. And that it is really an opportunity. And, you know, for to state the obvious, this whole diversity thing, you can use the word to really create diversity of thought and people and places and ideas and harness that full potential. It takes a greater leadership capability. We have to be better at leading and better at communicating in order to be able to hear all those voices. And so people like you, are just like key to our successful future, Kelly. Um, we could be talking over and over forever. So I would like to uh, do a little wrap and, and maybe spend a little reflection time. You've shared a lot. Is there a particular regret or a do-over if you had a chance being right where you are, exactly where you are, anything you do over? A do-over, but I definitely do think about the what-ifs. Um, what if I had stayed as a naval warfare officer? How would my path be different? Um, what different lessons would I have learned? Would I have progressed this far? Or would I have like maybe taken a knee earlier and found a new opportunity? It, like kind of those sliding door moments. Um, so I don't know. I think I'm quite comfortable that good and bad decisions have led me to where I'm at. Um, And I'm super grateful and very happy for all of the opportunities here. But I I think like everybody kind of 
has those thoughts. What if I would have done it this way? What if, but definitely no regrets, things I wish I wouldn't have done. Yeah. As young people, oh my gosh, there's like a ton of things like we wish we wouldn't have done, but on balance, you know, where are we? I'm, I, I have a, I'm pretty, I'm pretty fortunate. And so, yeah, I, yeah. I think I wouldn't really change too much. Yeah. I love your openness to consider though. And I think that that's a really, your genuine sense of curiosity and your openness to learning is, is key to your success. And I just love how you model that so naturally. Uh, you have done a lot, my friend. Do you have a particular proudest accomplishment to date? No, I don't. So, you know what? I don't think so. And maybe this is cliche, but I look at my little girl and she is a freaking rock star in like literally the cutest, best thing I've ever done. And she's like got kind of my face in my eyes, but her dad's personality. And like, I can't wait to see who she's going to become and what she's going to do and knock it out of the park. And, and so like, I think our hopes and dreams are in our kids because they are the future. So I'm going to go with uh, Charlotte. <laughs> I have got to see a mommy, daddy, and uh, Charlotte pick. So we will have to send one of those along. The um, You've shared a lot about um, how you've led. And I'm curious if you were to step outside and two, three words or three phrases, Kelly, about how you lead, how would you synthesize that? Oh my gosh, how do I lead? Um, okay, I'd like to think I lead purposely with psychological safety. Um, and it's to ensure people feel valued. And I know that wasn't three words, but that was three constructs because of everything I've gone through. And I remember the times that were hard and I remember not feeling heard and I remember not feeling valued. Or, and I remember what it was like to feel outside and other. I just never want anybody to feel that way. And so I, I want to really create environments where people you know, they can have a bad day. No problem. We're going to talk about it. We'll figure it out. We'll get you what you need. Or, you know, we'll cope with it together. I just want people to bring their best and to be empowered to bring their best every day. Yeah, it's beautiful. Lastly, what was it like for you to share your journey with us today? Oh my gosh. Amazing. Um, I hope my experiences can help other people. Um or, in, or if they don't, I hope folks, I hope folks find uh, my stories at least slightly entertaining. <laughs> but it was truly um, an honor and very special. And Molly, you just are such a ray of joy and positivity. And if I can learn, that's what I'm taking away from you is to just bring that for other people. I am blessed for you. You shine so brilliantly, Kelly. Just the biggest smile on my face the, that you could have described yourself as a bag of hammers. It's like cracks me up. I'm like, oh, Kelly, bag of hammers. I'm not sure, but I will trust you that maybe you had a modicum of that. Um, you are, um, you're, you're going to make this world, you are making this world better. You're a great inspiration for all. Charlotte is darn lucky. Your husband, John, is super fortunate, as is your whole family. And I just want to pre appreciate you. You are a big part of the solution in this world, my friend. And um, you shared your journey in life. And I know where you're still on your way. You're helping all of us be safe and seen and heard and our true and very, very best selves. And you take good care. If there's any way I can help you, you know how to reach me. Oh, thank you so much, Molly. Truly appreciate you. We'll hopefully cross paths soon.
Okay, folks, it doesn't get any better. Um, I thought for the week, courtesy of Kelly, one of her mantras, be kind, be brave, be you. And a shout out to all the dedicated folks who make this show possible. The great crew at Voice America, the creative Eric Patton, who is the driving force behind all the Say It Skillfully sites and, and social media. And that's a wrap, folks. I want to thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Kelly's voice. Reflect on your top takeaways and know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is solvable. Communities are proving it. And it begins by understanding that we can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. The U.S. spends billions each year responding, but it's clear more resources alone aren't enough to solve this complex problem. Community Solutions is a nonprofit working alongside 105 U.S. communities, proving it is possible to make homelessness rare and brief, starting with veteran and chronic homelessness. These cities and counties are fundamentally changing their approach and have committed to get to zero homelessness using real-time, person-specific data to work and use their resources wisely. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org. See if your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name and need? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness can't be solved. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out sayitskillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 